Hello beauties. On this episode, we meet with Ryan Bleth of the North Dakota Science Teachers Association or ND Star. Um, they're so close to having ND Star. They just need one more letter and that'll be a perfect acronym. In this episode with Ryan Bleth, we get to learn about what's going on currently with the North Dakota Science Teachers Association. Um, we also get to hear from Ryan Bleth, an accomplished science teacher himself. Um, he introduces us to this Teachers at Sea grant program that I think many listeners would feel very ready to apply and go towards. So make sure to listen especially close to that. And also just take into consideration the professional development that the North Dakota Science Teachers Association has planned and is upcoming for this year or in future years. Take care. Welcome to Beauty in Education. From the Square Butte of North Dakota, I am your host, Lisa Goosewell. This is season one of Beauty in Ed, and it is focused on sharing with North Dakotan teachers opportunities for professional development, both nationally and locally. Let's welcome our guest, Ryan Bleth from the North Dakota Science Teachers Association. Hi, Ryan. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I teach in Bismarck at Legacy High School. I've taught at Legacy. This will be my seventh year here. I teach chemistry and AP chemistry. Uh, I taught for about 14 years prior to that at Bismarck High School. Taught mostly chemistry there as well. And uh, I've been involved with the North Dakota Science Teachers Association since I think my fourth year of college when uh, my methods teacher took us to the first conference I attended up in Grand Forks way back in the day. So um, my involvement with the association has been as as treasurer secretary for most of the last 21 years, I guess, about 18 years or so. And um, involvement with, you know, various uh, board activities and, and planning in those two years ever since. So. so this is a little bit off topic, but I'm just curious as a North Dakotan teacher. So you had been a teacher at Bismarck Public Schools and have now moved over to Legacy. Was that a choice that you made or was that a shift that um, the district decided? Well, to some extent, it was a bit of both. Um, when we when we built the new high school um, in the northeast part of town to accommodate all the growth in the city and the crowding in our schools, um, it was it was going to be necessary for uh, a certain percentage of our staff to move over to Legacy, um, and they 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 tried to pull from both of both Century and and Bismarck high schools, and so I I was definitely um, I wasn't uh, forced to come, but. When the opportunity to come over and teach chemistry and also AP chemistry was offered and was available that the year when they first had juniors in the in the uh, student body, I, I sort of saw that opportunity as a chance to go teach AP chemistry, which I hadn't taught at BHS and uh, definitely was interested in teaching. So had a chance to come over and, and take that class in chemistry. And that was that was the big motivation. So it was it was going to happen for someone that was moving over here to, to teach science. A couple of us did that year from each of the two high schools. Um, it just worked out well that the course was what I wanted to teach. So that was what drove it. Was there another draw? Because Legacy has a unique format where I believe it has 
a lecture and then also lab days and then yeah. students can maybe pick and choose i'm not sure if i'm remembering this correctly on which lectures they can attend was that also a draw for you to do that yeah you know it was it was definitely something that our principal tom schmidt he when he uh, invited people to consider coming over he was very transparent about that and even involved you know he, he very much involved the earliest staff members at legacy in, in designing that funky schedule uh, yeah, it's it's uh, we 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 have a hard time describing it. It looks semi college-ish because it's not the same schedule every day, uh, and classes aren't the same length or meeting at the same time of day each day. Um, but yeah, that was that was enticing. It was it was strange enough to to be uh, something pretty exciting. And he had he had done a lot of thought with the advantages of it and was able to uh, articulate those pretty well to I think all of us that made the choice to come over. Um, and and yeah, so we yeah we teach our students a little differently. We don't see them every day. We we see our like my chemistry students. I see them three days of the week, and then we have a large group class that meets in the auditorium uh, one day a week as well. So I basically see them four times a week, um, and then they they don't have the same classes every day. So they can they maybe have five or six classes each school day, but can take seven, eight, even nine classes in a week. Um, which is which is a little bit a little less intense each day for them, and we, we get some benefit from that. So yeah, that was that was a draw. It was definitely exciting, um, something different. And I tell you, of the, of the all the things that Legacy does that, that are a little weird and different compared to a lot of schools, the schedule is by far the strangest and my favorite aspect of it um, for sure. Just the fact that it's something different every day, and it never gets monotonous. The days are always very different. So see. I, I have an English background, so that's my area. And I was like, well, what would I do on my lab days? <laughs> or what if what if we're not consistently writing? What if we need time to think? Whereas I think people in the science background are like, all right, this is new. This is new frontier. Let's see what happens. Um, have you ever read the book, uh, The Disappearing Spoon by Sam Keen? It, I've read uh, parts of it, yeah. It, yeah, it's uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's um, a book that has a chapter on how each of the periodic table elements were founded. And I used to think that scientists were these very procedural people, um, but I actually found out that they are the kind of people that will blow up their garage <laughs> in the hopes of discovering a new periodic table element. <laughs> it's very, very true. The number of, of pioneers that have hurt themselves either in the sh short term, very significantly, or in the long term, very gradually <laughs> to make the discoveries that they've made. That's that's absolutely true. Fortunately, I'll got, all, all 10 fingers still attached so far. <laughs> oh, I, I wish you the very best of luck <laughs> to get to keep up. Um, so thinking about that uh, that kind of persona about science teachers and how they are looking for those new frontiers and you being part of the North Dakota Science Teachers Association, how do you and your group draw in science teachers from around the state? Or what kind of problems are you guys seeing as you're drawing people into the state? Because I know that as an English teacher, we're struggling getting um, people to participate in our organization. Yeah, and I think that's probably been common across all the different subject area groups, you know, for the last 10 to 15 years. We've certainly seen a drop off in in involvement. Our conferences have have shrunk somewhat. Um, the science aspect of them, certainly from when I first started, a large part of that is I think it's 
because of the different approaches that districts have taken to PD and, and funding um, professional development in specific subject areas for teachers. But, um, you know, we can only do what we can do as far as that goes. Um, I guess, you know, how, how we try to reach out is has largely been based on our, our traditional spring conference. Um, we have we've had a spring conference for the association um, every year since the, the group was was formed. And um, the last couple of years, for various reasons, our conferences haven't gotten off largely with COVID and things. So we've, we have felt um, a lull, I guess, or a drop off in, in sort of the energy among the, the science teaching community in the state. Um, and knowing that, you know, because of COVID and just because of the nature of, of the profession, the last two or three years, when you have two or three years of, of sort of disconnect uh, from, from the regular members of our, of our group, then you're also losing, you know, a number of teachers to retirement. We're also um, missing the opportunity to, to start a relationship with the younger science teachers that are fresh out of college or joining the field later in life for whatever reason. And uh, we, you know, we have a lot of concern about that, um, how we can tap into and energize the, the folks that are in their first, you know, first five, 10 years of teaching, um, like so many of us who are on the board and have been involved for a long time got involved at that early stage uh, when it was a little different um, environment and atmosphere for, for PD in North Dakota. So, yeah, you know, right now, that's that was kind of what drove us to trying something different, I guess, as far as what, we're, what we'd like to do for PD. And by that something different, are you talking about your um, group's Saturday morning chats? Right. So <clears throat> one of the things that we decided to try, um, we, we talked a lot about it last spring, um, as we were all finally sort of catching our breath and maybe seeing the light at the end of the first crazy full year of COVID instruction, um, that we knew we needed to do something and probably something dramatically different. Uh, we had talked about moving our conference to the fall and uh, offering it as a fall event instead. You know, I think if we ever went back to a single annual conference, we'd probably go that way, at least to try it. Um, but yeah, we decided to, to try a, instead of a, a single annual event, which you know takes place over two days on a Friday, Saturday in some larger market in the state and hoping to catch as many teachers as possible that can make the trip and not be tied up with coaching commitments or family things or you know district budgetary limitations. Um, just to offer uh, one Saturday a month, sort of a morning um, mini, mini session, or uh, we had a lot of different, we still haven't really settled on a great name for it, but um, the idea that we'd have a, a four hour session. experimenting? Yeah, we're exactly <laughs> right. Very well said. So yeah, I and mean, that was actually one of the things someone said in our last time when a few of us chatted is we need a better name for this thing. Um, so yeah, we need to talk to the marketing teachers of the state maybe or DECA and have somebody come up with something. But um, so yeah, so the goal was that to try to do uh, about a four hour um, Saturday morning sort of window where we would offer a couple of, of sort of sessions um, maybe that are about 90 minutes to two hours long each. Uh, in the different subject, main subject areas of science, um, focusing on life science, uh, you know, physical slash chemistry, um, and like earth space science, um, but also trying to to offer sessions that would appeal to K six instruction too, because we've struggled for for as long as I've been involved to get as much involvement and participation from elementary science teachers um, as as we'd like to have, and and there's lots of reasons for that, um, you know. Um, why science education has, you know, tends to get short shrift in a lot of elementary environments, it's just kind of the nature of testing and, and standards and, and limits on time. Um, even well-intentioned teachers just can't do all they'd like to in, in many of those schools. So 
yeah, so our plan is to try to offer a, a morning PD sort of session that's virtual, um, at least to start out with in the year here, to start out virtually and uh, invite teachers to join that and uh, participate since we're all getting so good, sadly, at uh, virtual learning and, and Zoom meetings and whatnot, to have teachers uh, present what they're doing in their classrooms, um, best practices, new ideas, new labs, things maybe that are digital focused tools to help teachers that are struggling to find those things to fill in their, their uh, portfolios or things that would like to maybe be a little bit more efficient and less expensive with being virtual. Um, so yeah, the hope is to offer, our goal is to offer uh, two sessions during the first couple of hours and then two again the second couple of hours you know a, a total of about four two-hour sessions on a saturday once a month throughout the school year and uh, right now we're leaning toward uh, first saturdays of the month is our goal you mentioned that it's difficult to get the elementary teachers into the organization what benefit do you see um, having an elementary school having a focus towards science. I'm currently thinking of Langdon Elementary School. They have a specific elementary science teacher, Allison Potteratsky, and she had take, done her master's on um, STEM and they actually made her her own lab and all the students have their own little white lab coats. What, awesome. but, isn't it like, it's great. All right, we're in the lab. We're our lab yeah. here. It's official now. Yes. Yep. And I wonder um, what you think about what those Langdon students are receiving versus other mm -hmm. students where their um, teachers have been told that they really need to focus on reading and math more so than science. Like it's one of those, you know, that we had a number of years ago, we had a session or two at our spring conference that was geared very much toward that question and, and really how you can, um, you know, leverage limited time in your week and your school year um, in order to improve writing, reading, math scores, but by doing it by way of science. And it, I mean, science, I, I firmly believe, and I'm a little biased because I'm a science guy, but I firmly believe that science done well at, at any level, K-12, you know, will, will strengthen reading, math, writing, along with science. Whereas, and again, I'm, I'm biased, but whereas I, I don't always necessarily think that reading instruction done well, done, done as well, can enhance science to the same degree. It's just not the natural flow. So science, that science instruction that, that is effectively done and, and chosen from great resources um, that involves students reading that, you know, literature that's appropriate to their level or, or uh, you know, recording observations and, and writing sentences that, that describe what they're seeing and doing, um, you know, working with math, gathering data and, and analyzing, working with that data. Um, you're, you're really teaching, yeah, you're teaching science, but you're teaching math and, and English and reading um, all, in, all in one fell swoop. And, um, but it does, it does take training like you're talking about in Langdon and commitment or resources, I think, to, to make that effective. It definitely takes the right professional, you know, or two in a, in a school district that are gonna focus on it that way. And uh, that, that sounds great, you know, that sounds amazing. Um, I know a few teachers that, you know, in, in the Bismarck Manon area specifically, and, and I'm thinking of some from that year that really, you know, bought in to what was presented in that session as far as like an elementary science uh, notebook. And it, and it was a little bit more, um, 
en engaging than just a bunch of sheets of, with lines on them. You know, it was more of a, a science notebook with drawing and, and uh, all kinds of annotations. And it was a lot more dynamic than just sheets of, of lined paper. Um, but when they when they got going and bought into that, and it took some commitment up front, um, it made a big difference for their kids, not just in terms of test scores and and uh, those results, but, but the passion that they had for science going forward. And, you know, we fourth, fifth, sixth grade is such a critical age to keep science passion high. And I think as soon as you, you know, you lose it, it's hard to recover that. Um, but when we focus all of our attention on that reading, math and writing stuff um, at the expense of science and art, then, you know, things, things struggle to come back for those students in those areas. So I'm thinking back to how you were saying that um, really great reading instruction doesn't necessarily enhance um, scientific knowledge, but um, having a really great science program does enhance reading knowledge. And it brought me back to thinking about um, my biology teacher in high school, Mike Barnhart. He had us, like you said, with that field notebook and we were out, um, we were drawing pictures of different birds or different bugs that we saw and we were putting names to them. And it wasn't until I had completed that semester that I recognized when I was reading a book that I was paying more attention to the different animal species, the different plant species that the author had worked in to that writing before I would just blaze by. It was like, oh, well, that's just a bird or, oh, that's just a tree. But sure. because of that science background knowledge that um, Barnhart had put into me, um, I started to appreciate setting and place. Because hmm. I don't think people in North, or kids that grow up in North Dakota, especially now where they're mostly inside all day, really have an appreciation for what's around them. Like, what is that animal that I hit with the car? That's really <laughs> the limit to their interaction with animal or, um, even plant species. Um, yeah. And I wonder, does your association see any concern for um, students not having that background knowledge of their place in, um, in the world? Like what is North Dakota? What kind of plants and animals and um, basic geography do we live in? Sure, that's, you know, and that's been a conversation that, that uh, comes up just because of the nature of some of the presenters that we've had over the years that are that are specifically like that's their mission. You know, they work maybe with a, with a state agency uh, or a nonprofit of some kind or even at a university in a specific research area um, with that in mind. And um, obviously they're having they're having uh, specific data that they've gathered and and uh, anecdotal evidence of when it's been done well and when it's not and what the, the consequences can be. Um, we certainly, as an association, we're a chapter of the National Science Teachers Association, and the national organization has, has long, you know, had within its its um, emphasis, I guess, for us. And and one of the things that always encourages the state levels to work on is is that that lifelong, uh, you know, global science citizenship, and that awareness of your surroundings, appreciation for so much of what's going on in uh, in, in North Dakota, whether it be you know, ecologically or something to do with, you know, all the different energy fields or even just wildlife conservation and the things that are going on, you know, even right now with 
with regard to like, you know, deer health in our state and things like that. So there's, there's ample opportunity. Um, and it's always, it's always exciting for me to talk to students in the, in the bigger town like Bismarck that come in as like the city slicker kids that have a, a great awareness, you know, of what's going on out there because they are so avidly involved in it, whether it be because their family hunts and fishes or because they have family connections personally to working on a ranch or a farm themselves. Um, and, and those, those kids versus, and, and the, the chasm between those kids and the ones that just, you know, that look at a phone their entire lives, uh, work in the city, never get out of the city, have never been west of Salem Sioux or something like that. And that's, you know, that's the extent of their wildlife adventures. Um, yeah, there's, there's, I know there's concern how much we've been able to, to act on it so far has largely been just continuing to try to um, partner with those state agencies and groups that can come in and offer, you know, access to what they're currently giving as far as resources and support to increase that among our students, you know, whether it's uh, k- kindergarten on up. And there's definitely a lot of great resources out there. And I think elementary is a great opportunity to tap into that excitement, you know, get them excited about it while they're still looking out and not just down. <laughs> you know, um, that makes me think about how I was trying to lobby my administrators to let my students go to Huff Hills. I recently found out that Huff Hills, you can do field trips there and then they have their ski patrol and ski instructors out and it's a pretty good price. And I asked, can we do this? Because none of my students have been skiing or snowboarding before in their life. And we live in North Dakota where it snows. So what are they exactly doing during winter? Oh, probably not going outside or maybe shoveling, maybe um, sledding. But I think we'd be encouraging some of that geographical connection where cross-country skiing, what's up with that? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> We're really fortunate to have an outdoor recreation class at Legacy that that does that sort of stuff. And um, in our fire department, Kim Eckroth takes kids out. She does all kinds of that. Does takes them to the game and fish, fishing. And a lot of kids have never fished at all. You know, they're not catching massive fish like you might Skakawea or something, but um, just to get out and do it and learn how to bait a hook and how to, how to you know, interact with that. Um, and she takes she takes them out to Huff Hill. She tries. We've had some years when the weather gets warm too soon and it's kind of an, a dangerous ice sheet out there. But, yeah, there's there's such cool opportunities for it. And, you know, kids are kids are craving it, whether they ever want to admit it or not. That class is very popular. And I think classes like that, whether it's led by a FIED teacher or, or someone with science background or whatever it might be, there's something you know, like you say, there's something for everybody, every subject area in getting out into the the world of North Dakota, even if it's not as exciting as kids would want it to be going to Yosemite or something. Um, until you've seen all of North Dakota, you can't tell me it's boring. Um, and a lot of kids have never seen much of North Dakota. Yeah. So this makes me wonder, do you know what um, Devil's Lake, I believe they have a middle school that has a green education, which is like a place-based um, hmm. education, And I think for the first half of the school day, they take the students out to Spirit Lake Reservation and they team up with um, the park rangers to help lead the kids through different things or just to have free play. I'm not exactly sure what they do, but I do know that it's considered a green education program that they've partnered. Have you heard anything about that at all? 
I haven't, but that sounds really great. You know, a lot more, um, especially hands-on, but sustained hands-on. That's not just, we're going to go outside and, and, you know, collect bugs for 20 minutes. It's, you know, a lot more meaty than that. Offers up, you know, just think about the opportunities for interdisciplinary things that you could do if you're out there for longer than just half an hour. Um, and it becomes part of the culture. Um, that's, yeah, that's great. I have not heard about that. That sounds really exciting. Is it, is it largely elementary or is it all the way up through? You said middle school. I think it so. is only their sixth through eighth graders, if I'm remembering it correctly. It was um, Dr. Jared Schlanker from the University of North Dakota. He was originally a principal in that area and started the ball rolling with it. But hmm. now he has since moved on to directing the educational leadership program at UND. And I know it's still continuing. Um, but I, I really need to someday contact them and see exactly how they're doing it. Because as an English teacher, I was like, well, what, what, what would I do? But then you as a science teacher are like, we can do so many interdisciplinary things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And well, I, I think that's a, yeah, what a cool opportunity, especially at an age when we suddenly yank away the outdoor world from our kids from school start to school end, you know, recess goes away and and uh, I don't know what age that happens in different schools, but it's too early. I know that. Um, get kids outside and give them a chance to be outside and trick them into eating their vegetables and learning at the same time. Um, that sounds really great. You might like this. Um, I have a daughter. She's a toddler, uh, so two. And her, her um, birthday gift this year was a snail. Because I was thinking, what would be a really good pet for a two-year-old? And I figured a snail eats its vegetables, so <laughs> that's a great idea. We have a two and a half year old. <laughs> My, our two and a half year old does not eat vegetables either, so maybe that would be the way to trick her. I'm more of I'd be more of a fan of like a chameleon or something because I want one of those selfishly. But uh, a snail sounds like less maintenance. <laughs> they okay. So I thought snails wouldn't be very fun but uh, their shell grows and you can see the new shell growth on it. And they're very fast and they hang like a bat in their cage. <laughs> I didn't think huh. they'd hang upside down. And no. um, they, sorry, I get like really fanatical about this snail. She named it Carrot because it was eating a carrot. So <laughs> it made sense. It's great. And um, he, he's a fascinating little creature. But yeah, seeing his shell grow now. Oh, and their shells are really sensitive. So you can pet their shells and they really enjoy that. Huh. Yeah, I got to bring them to school a few times. My students had them in their hand and they were like, how do I get him to come out of his shell? And so I was like, yeah. well, just pet this shell. And they're like, mm, I don't know about that. That's like <laughs> petting a fingernail, Mrs. Goosewell. And I was like, no, 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 really. And then the, sh the snail came out and hung out with them. like. Yeah. it across their hands they thought it was the coolest those interactive pets are awesome i used to have a couple like that back in the day too and even if they didn't want to admit it high school kids thought they were pretty awesome as well so gotta get one of those again one of these days maybe maybe soon <laughs> it's cold get a snail yeah get a snail yeah i really enjoy my snail again i just can't get over how much i really like our snail named carrot <laughs> um so 
you said that essentially you guys are a state group, but you're part of this national organization. Do they help you with funding at all, or is it entirely funded by the teachers who are part of your organization? Does the state help out? Sure. The uh, no, the, the NSTA. We don't have a, a financial connection to them necessarily. Uh, one of the things they offer every summer uh, a Congress on Science Education that pulls together all the different chapters and associated groups from around the country. And there's, I think, there's 70 to 80 different state organizations of science and STEM and, and different sort of advocacy things. Um, so we get together with them and they they organize the program for all that. Um, the states travel, send delegates on their own dime and all that sort of thing. But um, it's high, it's been highly valuable. I was fortunate to go as our delegate a couple times and made a big difference for us. But financially, no, we, we do sort of stand alone and makes every, you know, makes every state's um, challenge what they can offer in terms of resources and, and um, um, kind of do as an association uh, hinge largely on what you're able to do bring together from your own state's resources. Uh, we don't have a, a consistent state uh, funding, um, any kind of a state funding routine uh, from North Dakota either. We, we have worked with uh, DPI. They've, they've um, been co-sponsors of various aspects of conferences in the past and supported um, you know, keynotes on certain subject areas that they, that they had a stake in um, and that sort of thing. So that they've been, there's been some support there uh, here and there over the years. Um, and they've helped us with, you know, kind of getting the word out to some degree through newsletters and things like that. So there's been some support there too. But yeah, largely we're we're, we're driven by, um, you know, the, the history of the association um, with with regard to what our conference can bring in if it's a profitable event. Um, we don't necessarily design it to be a big profit money maker. Um, some years it's broken even. Some years we've made a little money on it. Um, <clears throat> when we've had some sponsorships or uh, partnerships with the state um, and things like that to kind of help keep our costs down. We've been able to make a little bit more on it, but we're really just, yeah, just hoping to, you know, spend a little bit less than we bring in and uh, do as much as we can with the minimal resources that we've got. Um, we've certainly got, um, I think, you know, we can, we can do a lot with a little as how teachers work, you know, I guess it's just a matter of getting enough, um, boots on the ground within the, the organization and people committed to presenting sessions. Right now, that's our big, um, probably our biggest concern um, with our Saturday sessions is going to be consistently getting presenters that aren't the same people or aren't just tapping into the, the energies of our board. Uh, we've had, we have some really great presenters already sort of pulled together, um, but also to get people to attend since it's a new commitment of their time on a Saturday. Um, otherwise, you know, without, without attendees, all the best sessions in the world don't offer as much value. Um, we do we do hope to archive them all and have them, you know, recorded for, for access later. Um, but it's obviously supposed to be an interactive environment so that you can interact with whoever's presenting and ask questions about how to fit it into your own room, which, you know, a week later isn't going to happen as easily. So we'll see. But um, well, there are there are those limitations. <laughs> if you need anyone to present on um, eating bugs or space debris, I, I could I could fill in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I lead a arguments writing unit. It's actually something that I picked up from the Red River Valley Writing Project. Okay. So we do a lot of source-based argument writing. And through that, we um, can introduce some scientific concepts. So with um, the bugs, that's 
um, more focused on nutritional science. So that's more of your PE health area. But the space degree one, I think is very earth and space science. I For did sure. not know what the lower earth orbit was, but apparently through the unit plan that I did, it was enough to semi impress some of the um, people out at NASA. They were like, oh, this English teacher isn't entirely. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. See, uh, you're the you're the multidisciplinary sort of person that, you know, they'll have their eye on when they want to send a teacher up in space again someday. So I wouldn't go. Would you go? I would go tomorrow. Absolutely. I've always said if they called me tonight and said we need a teacher to get on the shuttle tomorrow, I'd I'd miss my family for as long as I'd be gone, but I'd be ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure I'd throw up down in my flight suit and all that, but I would I've always been fascinated with space. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I got to tell you this. Um, so I was able to interview Leah Jolke, who was the North Dakota Teacher of the Year in 2018, and she runs her own professional development group with some other um, Teachers of the Year called Spark Teaching Group. And I don't know if you know this, but if you are North Dakota Teacher of the Year, they send you down to space camp where you get to experience zero gravity and you get to wear the suits and eat the food and nice. hang out with the astronauts and do all of the different activities for preparing um, to go out into space. That, that'd be great. Motivated to become teacher of the year now. There you go. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> See, I That's didn't a... know it was possible to do experience zero gravity on earth. And there she is just experiencing yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, that's great. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because just, you know, back here, I think it was the last time when the Challenger anniversary was, and I was reading about that again, because I was, I was in fourth grade and very distinctly remembered that. And, um, but I went and read about the fact that, that I had no idea that every state had two teachers that were sort of the finalists to be on that shuttle. And they eventually winnered it down just to, you know, to, to one that tragically went up um, with, with that shuttle that year. But the, the North Dakota delegates, one of the two anyway, I, I knew from NDSTA from from when I first started out there and had been he had been heavily involved. Um, he's retired now in the state. But um, what? a Yeah, he was a fascinating guy. When I saw his name was one of the two state finalists, I wasn't surprised until one bit. He's the kind of crazy, uh, brave science guy that would want to be up there for that. So, yeah, what a neat opportunity. Something that's tough to get your hands on in reality these days. But. You know, maybe it's, you just have to like write some persuasive, have your students write some persuasive letters to Elon Musk and he can send you up next time. <laughs> I, that's, that just sounds terrifying. I Not for me. I'll tell them to write Ryan Blethin. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. So that brings this to question. So I'm very into um, this writer named James Nestor and he's actually like a travel writer and he got his start in... Um, focusing on these kind of fringe sports. And it happened that he got very involved in free diving. And then um, in his book, Deep, um, that's focused on free diving and the science of the ocean. He goes on this chapter by chapter uh, mission to try to get to the bottom of the ocean. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you had the choice 
space or going on this crazy Oklahoman engineers um, submersible that will get you 2,000 feet into the ocean <coughs> on the second largest trench, the Cayman Trench, I think it is. Mm. And you can see um, animal species that even marine biologists haven't seen. Which would you choose? I, I could still go to outer space. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would love to do either one of those things, but because uh, oceanography, I did, a, I did my master's in geoscience. I took a course in, the, in oceanography with that. And yeah, that's, that's fabulous. And even, you know, being from North Dakota, you don't get a lot of oceanography uh, in your life, in your everyday life. But uh, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be cool. To, just some, some sort of claustrophobia though, of being that far down. I don't know. That would be strange. Although I, I don't, something like shipwrecks and that kind of stuff seems exciting. So maybe that would be pretty cool. So one of those things, if you could be guaranteed, you'd get back. <laughs> It'd be a whole different conversation, but yeah. Not I that space is 100% safe. <laughs> I think he's had like a thousand different um, trips down to the bottom. I think he calls it the Roatan Deep Sea Institute is maybe hmm. what he calls it. But yeah, he's this crazy Oklahoma engineer who had this idea in his head that he would just make a submersible that would get you really far into the ocean. But um, in the United States, we we were not willing to allow such a wild idea. So then he went to Honduras, which had much fewer questions to ask <laughs> yeah, yeah. a wily scientist. <laughs> and that's great. Yeah, that's on my bucket list. I'm going to go and do that someday. And that would be cool. There's so many of those opportunities if you just know who to ask and where to look, you know, to end up at, you know, teachers at sea and all kinds of these cool programs that colleagues have done and they come back and talk about them and, you know, end out on a research vessel in the, in the Antarctic Ocean or something for, for 60 days or, you know, just really, yeah, really a fabulous, there's a, it's a fabulous world to get out and explore if you're willing to put yourself out there and, you know, try some of those things out. So, Are you saying that there is a teacher at sea program that I could, I could like fill out an application for. Yeah, I, I'm sure it still exists. I'm pretty sure. It, I'm, I can't say for sure. I want to say it was through. I want to say it was through NOAA, but it, it might have been the NSF. I don't remember for sure. But a colleague of mine here in town, um, Donna Knutson, she she was part of it. She participated in it um, at one point here, not too many years ago. And uh, she's, she's another one. She's been very involved in NDSTA and a part of our board and uh, loves getting out and like trying out the, the crazy new things. Um, not just waiting for something to pop up in North Dakota, but like, why not? Why not go out and get on a ship, you know, a research vessel and conduct actual research with professional scientists in the field and, and see the world while you're at it. So, yeah, it's I'm sure it still exists. Um, it might have been curtailed for a while with all this COVID this stuff, but um I'm sure it's still there. And uh, yeah, you'd be great for it. See, I am so excited you're saying these things because um, Leah Jolke, she had mentioned this BBT Adventures where you can go and visit other classrooms um, in different countries. And I think they're going to Kenya this year and maybe Egypt next year. But this is an entirely different opportunity where you can be part of that scientific industry and take part in the research. Both of them sound very cool. And um, I, I would definitely be, it would be, okay. So to see the Kraken 
They say it exists, but just no one's ever seen it. Do you believe that the Kraken exists? <coughs> no, I can't say I do. But, you know, I'm sure there's things that are real that are every bit as scary as that if you're out in the ocean and it, and it finds its way next to your boat, you know, so. I know what's down there. Nobody knows. <laughs> it's just it. You never know. A lot of, there's a lot of ocean we haven't gotten to. So It's true. Although, cool things that are awesome and, and and freaky up close and yeah but okay actually now i have another question sorry this is a bit off topic but it's been in my head and i've been talking with students about it for the last four years um i was reading a book i don't remember if it was neil degrasse tyson's astrophysics for people in a hurry or if it was the disappearing spoon book but one of those sources told me that there is a theory scientists have about the core of Jupiter being made of like a really hard diamond because of the immense amount of pressure there. What are your thoughts? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Can't say that I've ever given, given it a lot of thought. I think I have read some you know, snippets of that, that there's, there's different theories on it, um, different, different hypotheses that people have based on, yeah, the sheer physics of that you know, that's body, because that's, that's a lot of mass pushing down on a lot of mass. Um, and so, I mean, just, just based on the, the potential of it in terms of chemistry and physics that could take place there, I guess, you know, um, one of those things that might be difficult to ever find an answer for. Um, we can't even get to our own core without, you know, without a lot of trouble. So, uh, but, but uh, yeah, it's, it's sure, it sure is interesting to, to think that there's so much out there that we can have conversations about. And for kids, I think it's a cool thing for them to, to sort of see that there's ways, there's ways that scientists, even though we can't go there and drill down, can, can model, you know, on a much smaller scale, similar processes here and see what we get on earth and how does that translate to a different place? You know, it's, it's cool. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, I am wondering if there is any type of social media or any way to contact you or the North Dakota Science Teachers Association so that anyone who's listening, if they want to join up with you guys on your Saturday chats about your different um, scientific topics or um, maybe want to attend a conference, if you guys have that ready and rolling to go. Um, where they could go to contact or how to join a listserv or what the kind sure. of membership is. Yeah. So we, we aren't terribly active on social media. It would, it would be great if we were, but we don't have a huge presence, I guess. We have a, we have a Facebook page for the North Dakota Science Teachers Association um, that, that is pretty open. It, it's something that we definitely uh, invite you know, different agencies and professionals and uh, people with opportunities for PD to just share on there. So it's kind of, it's kind of an open slate for them. Um, if people are interested in sharing something that they have coming up that teachers should be aware of, that's a place to do it. Um, we, we have, um, we do have membership and a membership in our association. People are welcome to join um, the, the uh, NDSTA website. It's probably the best place to go for that. So if you visit us at ndsta.wildapricot.org and um, just sort of keep up with what's coming next, especially with our Saturday sessions, dates, um, dates, times, and uh, so, you know, specific session breakdowns, details on those things. Um, we're sort of finalizing right now our November slate, um, and, and we have a, a space, this Earth Space Science session 
um, included in that in that roster for November for elementary level. So we will have something going there. Um, and then uh, certainly, I mean, people could people could reach out to me um, if they have questions about upcoming events and, and opportunities with us, or if they want to learn more about how to take part in things that we're going to offer, whether it is an attendee or a, a presenter. Um, one of the things we are trying to do with our Saturday sessions throughout the year is, is compile enough uh, contact hours, academic hours, uh, to, to be able to offer credit for people that would like to, you know, finish a credit throughout the year doing that too. Um, a lot of schools that have opportunities with book studies and things in their in their own schools, but a lot of people don't, uh, or they want to do one that's going to give them more usefulness right away or whatever. Uh, we've typically had credit at our conferences, so to, to offer it as part of our Saturday sessions is something we're, we're trying to, to make possible for folks too. Um, so if people have questions, they can certainly reach out to me directly. I, I'm somewhat active on Twitter, but um, I don't know that with the association actually has a Twitter um, account going right now at all. So be kind of through through some of our officers, I guess would be the way to do that. All right. Well, again, um, thank you so much for your time today. And again, this was Ryan Bleff of the North Dakota Science Teachers Association. And I hope you guys all check out that Teachers at Sea that he mentioned and all of the cool stuff that they have planned for this year and the coming years. Take care, everyone.